Is it time for a mind shift? If you don't know what that means, then join your host, Dr. Clint Haycock, a former evangelical Christian pastor and Bible college teacher of over 20 years, along the journey of deconstruction and reconstruction of faith, life, religion, and spirituality. I'm so happy to welcome back Frank Schaefer. Now, this is your third time guesting on MindShift Podcast, but there's so much to talk about. So thanks for dropping back in. Oh, good, good, Ben. Yeah. In fact, I was messaging in our group today, our Facebook group, that I was going to be talking to you again, and someone commented. They said, Frank Schaefer is probably the most interesting man in the world. So that's got to be a good comment. Well, the first comment, the thing to note is that I've been out in my carpentry workshop all morning, which I know you relate to. That I do. And uh, my seeing myself on the screen here is the first time I've looked in a, quote, mirror all day. And I, I, as I passed in here, I said to my wife, Jeannie, how do I look? I haven't looked in a mirror. I think that we're doing this on Zoom and not just voice. And she says, you're okay. And I said, you know, anyway, the, the, the Brits are sort of a grotty lot. You know, they don't <laughs> care about this stuff. That's true. So, That's, you know, not yeah. that you only have a British audience, but, you know, I'm, this isn't Hollywood, right? This is not Hollywood. This is extremely low budget. Yeah. So I know we've done a lot of stuff. You talked, obviously, about you and your father's involvement in the anti-abortion crusade. We kind of yeah. covered that in a couple episodes. And I talked about your book, Crazy for God, which was fascinating. But what I'm doing is I'm doing a lot of research on Jerry Falwell Sr. and the moral majority. Yeah. What I'm seeing is a through line to a lot of the stuff that he and other people like him started back in the 70s and 80s with the evangelical Trump support. I know that's something you've talked a lot about, but you were there. I mean, you met Falwell Sr., you met Pat Robertson and all these other kind of big heavy hitters. Maybe we can go back and kind of talk about some of the roots of how all that came about um, in addition to obviously the anti-abortion piece. Yeah, I mean, met doesn't even cover it with Mm. with Falwell I preached from his pulpit and Mm -hmm. spoke to his whole student assembly with his faculty at the school right and um, by the way they keep recordings of all those things you know all their famous guest preachers and not that I was famous but you know what I'm saying Mm -hmm. all all evidence of my having been there has been scrubbed off all their sites you really no yeah to the point where I got an email from a guy about three years ago saying, I have a very rare thing. I said, what's that? And he said, I've still got a cassette tape that I recorded from the audience of you talking to the college because they have scrubbed it from their archive. You can't find my talks in their library because you know I'm now you know, persona non grata. But the, <laughs> other, the other reason they scrubbed it is because even back in the day when I went there, I had just written a book as an evangelical writer called Addicted to Mediocrity that was about Christians in the arts and how trying to make them all gospel witnessing tools was a waste and that, you know, Bach and Rembrandt and all these other artists in the Northern Reformation countries that my dad talked about never did that. It wasn't about salvation. It was about good art. So even back then, if you looked at the seeds of my writing and another book called Sham Pearls for Real Swine, you would see that that through line from my rebellion began by trying to reform the very things within the evangelical community Mm -hmm. that made me finally leave. 
This actually relates to your question. So right. when I went in to speak to Jerry Falwell's campus at that time, now he has, now the Falwell, well, it's not Falwell anymore, they kicked him out. But That's true. Liberty Baptist, as it was known there, now it's just Liberty University, had I think 7,500 students when I went there. Now it's like 75,000. Oh, but in huge. any case, my talk was incredibly well received by the students to the chagrin of both Falwell and the professors who got a lot of questions they didn't want. Ah. Like, uh, why are we trying to make witnessing tools when art has value in itself? Why is everything about propagandizing the quote lost? How about the intrinsic value of life itself? I was bringing these questions up in an infant form that mm -hmm. became in a way my, my road out on aesthetic basis from the evangelical community. So even back in the day when I was with Falwell, some of my interface with that group was contentious already. The other area it was contentious is when Falwell would make very bigoted anti-gay remarks, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, some of which I put in my book, Crazy for God, talking about being backstage with him at the church and him saying if he had a dog that did what these, these uh, he used the, you know, uh, uh, an expletive about gays. He didn't mm. call them gays or homosexuals, a bad word. He said, if they did what these blank do, I would shoot them. So mm. in essence, the first thing I'd like to say, and this is not in any order of, of importance, but that my exposure to Jerry Falwell in particular and Pat Robertson after that was the beginning of my getting out of the movement because they were such vile creatures and they were, they were so awful to be around. Pat Robertson as well. Horribly hypocritical. One thing on front of the camera in the pulpit. Real bigot in, mm -hmm. in Falwell's case behind. So dishonest in so many ways. That even while I was trying to suck up to him, to be honest, because that gave me a big platform. Oh yeah, they were big names. Okay, big names. I was disgusted with them and then started being really disgusted with myself mm -hmm. for having anything to do with these guys. And back then could justify it by saying, well, you know, we're here arguing the case for the unborn. We're trying to get this project launched. Nobody wants to know about abortion because they see it as a Catholic issue. This is in the early days. And we're going to have to convince these evangelicals to become pro-lifers instead of pro-choice. Because as I've said before on your program, what most people don't know on the left or right is that most of the evangelical leadership, like Dr. Billy Graham, Dr. Criswell, president of the Southern mm -hmm. Baptist Convention, we're not just ambivalent on abortion. They were pro-choice when Roe v. Wade came along, and so was the editorial board of Christianity Today. So first thing to say about my contact with Falwell and Robertson in particular was that at the beginning, we were trying to talk them into a, quote, pro-life position, and they were either ambivalent or, in the case of Criswell and Graham, pro-choice. And then when it came to Falwell, he was such an unsavory character, and I mean, literally just an oily kind of con artist, and it was so self-evident working with him and then getting to know the people around him. For instance, Cal Thomas at that time helped him, who was the president of the moral majority under Falwell, who left the moral majority because of the dishonesty of Falwell's fundraising methods. Mm. Then Cal went on and became a commentator on Fox News in the early days and so on. This whole group of people were my, as it were, the beginning of me getting out. Hmm. On, on two levels. One, the aesthetic level we're talking about. And secondly, the fact that in comparison to the humble beginnings of my own Christian life within the evangelical faith work of Labrie Fellowship that my parents started, 
where, as I mentioned before, dad's working on the side of his bed with no secretary. We don't own a, own mm. a car. We meet once a week and the rest is all vegetable casseroles with rice and beans because there's no budget. That was my Christian, quote, growing up childhood. This is what mission work looks like. And then fast forward into my, my early 20s and Jerry Falwell's lending me his jet to fly around the country to raise money for our joint projects uh, that we're doing in terms of a seminar tour. That's kind of a, a, a meandering overall look at my, my first impressions and involvement. But I just say mm -hmm. again, my talk I gave to his students and his faculty caused such waves down there that they were disappearing it before I even quit and got out. Just the idea of standing up and saying fundamentalism is wrong, life is not all about witnessing for Jesus, but for doing things for their own sake, whether it's falling in love and getting married or art or any of these other things, we're not propagandists for Jesus. Mm -hmm. So that didn't go down well with the faculty, but the students all roared and screamed because it was so liberating to them. And uh. they thought I, I was introduced as a legitimate person, you know, the son of Francis Schaeffer. They thought, okay, a new day is dawning. Well, mm -hmm. it wasn't. And essentially after that, I didn't get invited back to the college again. And then of course, a few years later, I was out of the movement. But um, before that, I had spoken from his pulpit when my dad was preaching there and then, and then once on my own. Mm. And so that was my connection with Falwell. Now, your, your, your question was about his road into the, the anti-abortion movement. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Well, that, yeah, I mean, that's the interesting thing is that I came across, speaking of his dishonesty and his character, there's a really interesting article. I don't know if you've read it, but it's by Francis Fitzgerald in The New Yorker. And it came out in 1981. And yeah. it's a huge, long article. I guess she actually was doing research for a book at the time on the moral majority and Jerry Falwell. She yeah. spent, I don't know, months and months in Lynchburg, yeah. attending the church, talking to the locals, talking to the sure. people in the church, interviewing Falwell. And she said her article, she talks about that he ran the church like a dictator, that well, that's, that's the way he ran it. And, yeah. you know, and I thought, okay, there's an interesting piece there. The he was, line. yeah. And you, you look at the way he ran the church and the way Jerry Falwell Jr. ran Liberty University yeah. like a dictator. And yeah. then they have that, you know, through line, as you say, to a guy like a Trump who yeah. they, they look up to that and they want to be told what to do, in effect, and not think, you know, on that fundamentalist line. Well, Professor Randall Balmer, who teaches mm. here in New England up at um, uh, yeah, Dartmouth, Dartmouth. Randall, who I know quite well, and I've been on panels with him and so on, has done a, a very intricate study of how the right wing, not the religious right, worked and co-opted with these guys to get them into the pro-life thing. But what it was really about goes back to Falwell and other people's dedication to segregation. Exactly. And since they missed on that, they found this other issue to raise funds and to have access to power. And then in addition to which, it was the reaction to the election of Jimmy Carter, mm -hmm. who was the only real evangelical president we've ever had in terms of personal faith Sunday school teacher. But he was the wrong kind because yeah, he was, he was liberal. Social, socially liberal. Yeah. So Bomber's done a study on another part of this. Actually, he's got a new book coming out that I just read because they asked me for a quote for the cover but it's not quite out yet. It's coming, I think, in April or May. It's a spring book. But anyway, it's very good. He has a whole chapter on abortion. He talks about me and my dad and so forth. But he talks mostly about Paul Weirich, mm -hmm. the right-wing activist, and how he co-opted these guys based on trying to find another way to get at Jimmy Carter 
rooting back into the support for segregation by Falwell and others. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, our involvement was never on that level of, we don't go back with them into the 50s and early 60s. We came on board after they would be publicly disavowing segregation, saying they'd grown past that and now accepted integration and so forth. But the roots of a lot of their involvement socially was to try to undo the damage of integration as they saw it. So for instance, a lot of the private school movement in those days of the evangelical movement were really white schools. It was a way to get mm-hmm. your kids out of an integrated public school. Yeah, and, segregation and, academies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so we were kind of at that transition moment, but seeing it very much through the lens of trying to talk these guys into standing up on the issue, which was the issue of abortion, which of course we succeeded horribly at because it then became the litmus test that put Trump in office mm-hmm. with people like Ralph Reed and so forth and so on. Yeah, exactly. And let's not forget that Jerry Falwell's Lynchburg Christian Academy was itself a segregation academy. So his, his Christian school that he started yeah. before he started Liberty University, I think, was a segregationist academy. He it himself was. was a segregationist. He and Bob Jones, you know, they, they were both of the same cloth, weren't they? They didn't believe yeah. in the mixing of races. And of course, yeah. there's a famous sermon by Bob Jones in 1964, I think it was, where yeah. he talks about how God ordained that each race should not mix. And that's yeah. the biblical, you know, godly order of things. And if, yeah. if everyone just stays in their lane, so to speak, right. everything will be fine. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's where these guys were coming from. By the time I met Falwell, that's not where he was putting his emphasis. By the time I met him, his shtick was not abortion at first. It was mm-hmm. it was the rising feminist slash gay right assault on Christian America. Mm-hmm. So that he was standing on the Capitol steps with inexplicably a full dress military cohort behind him sent by Reagan or someone at that point. I forget what year this took place, giving a, a fiery anti-homosexual, as he uses the words, mm-hmm. sermon on how the homosexual agenda to take over and pollute our country and why these people should not be teachers or in our schools or any of these other things. And so his passion at that point, if you can call it that, because it's all fraudulent. It, in other words, his passion for the next fundraising shtick to keep his people angry. I mean, you know, these guys were Fox News before there was Fox News. Yeah, got to keep your base riled up. Yeah, the way to rile them up in the beginning of the time I knew him was attacking gay people and their, quote, agenda to uh, coerce young people into gay lifestyles because mm-hmm. the whole evangelical take on homosexuality was that this is a chosen lifestyle. It's a sin. You can't have a sin if it's not chosen. Okay. You can't, you can't be called a sinner because you're born tall or short or fat or bald. That's God's doing. So it has to be a choice because otherwise God makes gay people, which is mm-hmm. unthinkable to these guys. Yeah. So essentially that was his thing. We basically were instrumental in talking Falwell into elevating anti-abortion to the same level as anti-gay and then combining them into this secular humanist assault on otherwise Christian America. And so that's, that's where we played a really nefarious part. We yeah. got him to elevate that. And then, of course, in the end, the abortion issue eclipsed the gay rights issue altogether and the, the continuing energy of the evangelical right wing to this day and the defense of Trump and all the rest of it all came from trying to get anti-abortion judges onto the federal benches. And that, of course, continued all through the Trump administration very successfully on their part. Hmm. 
as we talked about, culminating in uh, Amy Coney Barrett being shoved on at the last minute. Well, and that's right. another aspect to this as well, the Equal Rights Amendment. It seemed like there was three big planks, wasn't there? You had the, the quote, yeah. gay agenda, the homosexual agenda, yeah. the abortion plank, and then the Equal Rights Amendment, which all three of which they were genius at yes. by, by saying all of them are an assault on the family. That's yeah. the key. Is, yeah. is there, you know, gay rights, same-sex marriage, abortion, and women getting yeah. out and, and working and having careers and all the rest of it. They're yeah. leaving home. They're leaving, abandoning their children. They're all assaults on the family. They're weakening the right. family. And, of course, we knew Phyllis Schlafly and the whole anti- Yeah, the ERA the, thing. The ERA, yeah, the whole ERA thing. We were out there. We would cross paths with her and have meetings with her. She was such a cranky wacko, though, on a personal level, that when you did meet with her, it was like, oh, holy shit. <laughs> Here we, we go. Just don't, just don't take pictures with us together. I mean, I remember my dad knowing Phyllis Schlafly and just saying, I don't want anybody to take pictures of us together because she's just, you know, this is, she's just too much of a, too far out there. Of a whack job. Technically, he didn't approve of the the Equal Rights Amendment, because it would have strengthened the abortion agenda, quote unquote, he thought. But in terms of reaction to Schlafly and these other leaders, dad, like me, you know, could never get out of these meetings fast enough because he only suffered Falwell and Robertson and all these other guys on one basis. And that is he thought that for the greater good, as he would say, we're not allies, but we can be co-belligerents. And he was, he was able to excuse a lot of stuff like that. In other mm -hmm. words, hey, look, we're not these guys. We're not out for the money like this. We are allies. We're not co you know, we are co-belligerents. We are not allies. Mm -hmm. And that was always his, the way he would distinguish when he would work with someone for what he thought was a greater purpose. And he would compare it to, you know, you're in a plane crashes and you work with whoever helps you drag people out of the plane to safety. Sure. Later, you figure out who the good guys are. And that's how he looked at these people. It was a net, you know, what I think a lot of people who made Francis Schaeffer a religious right hero later don't understand is that Francis Schaeffer of his earlier works on philosophy, art, history, Labrie having an open policy to receive the very kind of people that Jerry Falwell would fire if they showed up, gays and others. That Francis Schaeffer regarded his collaboration with people like Falwell as a necessary evil, mm -hmm. not as a good thing. But as a necessary evil, he knew who they were and he knew that they were flakes. And he always would shake the dust from his shoes and go back to Libri, work on the corner of his bed without a secretary, you know, on a tea tray mm -hmm. with no car and go back to that kind of humble thing. Even when the book royalties were rolling in, which he then would turn over to Libri Fellowship. Mm -hmm. You know, my father did not become independently wealthy based on what was on the book table at any given night. It all got plowed back in. So all the money we made off how should we then live and it was millions because the seminars were were big all sure. got put into whatever happened to the human race nobody mm. put that in their pockets we didn't walk off with fistfuls of cash that night mm. no private the, jets on, no private jets <laughs> you know we were flying economy and all the rest of it. the only private jets we flew in were ones lent to us by other evangelist type people like falwell mm -hmm. um for convenience sake but you know my father always said you know this is for the greater good we're going to fight this battle but it wasn't ever, oh, wow, this is great. We've arrived. We know these people now. And he, he had a, a less jaundiced view of his collaboration with people in politics like Jack Kemp and all these others because Congressman Jack Kemp, who ran for vice president with Bob Dole, because mm -hmm. he genuinely liked some of those people. They were very decent human beings. Jack was a wonderful guy. 
uh, agree, disagree with his trickle-down economic Laffer curve stuff and all this, but nevertheless, he was really great. Um, not so the evangelical leadership. We didn't know one good guy. I never met one of them that I would let babysit my children, put it that way. Not one. These are the evangelical, white evangelical leadership of the movement are either con artists or jaded former believers that knowingly sold out to make more money. Mm -hmm. And that would be like a guy like Ralph Reed today in oh, his yeah. political activism. It's a great and, stick, yeah. Yeah, and you know, these guys are, are right now in the whole battle after Trump is gone. You know, people like Ted Cruz are really the scum of the earth. They are evangelical mm. leaders. Ted Cruz is an evangelical leader. He's oh, he an is, evangelical yeah. first, and so was Mike Pence. And they, oh, yeah. you know, people don't get the fact that the worst guys in the Trump enablers, you know, Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, Mike Pence, these guys are all evangelicals. And most of them on the, on the reconstructionist, theonomous side of the page. Yeah. They're bringing America either back to God or turning it into a Christian country or Christian nationalism is really their stick, not white nationalism. The, me the media gets it wrong. These guys are not white nationalists. They are Christian nationalists, and they want to make America into some sort of a theocratic, you know, city set mm -hmm. on a hill. So, you know, they, they're nothing new because these types of people have been around for a long time. But what's new is that they allowed themselves to be used or tried to use Donald Trump who in any other circumstance, they wouldn't even be in the same room with this guy. Yeah, they saw him as the vehicle for them to achieve their dominionist ends, didn't they? That's well, it. Well, this is an interesting thing. I came across your father in another, I don't know if it's a surprising connection, but the Lausanne Covenant. This is another interesting thing. So I, I did some research sure. on this. With well, Billy Graham. I, yeah, Billy Graham put that together. But your father, was he was one of the keynote speakers there in 1974 in Lausanne, yep. Switzerland and obviously helped collaborate to craft the Lausanne Covenant Statement. Now, what's interesting about that is that's going on right in the middle. They're talking about, we're so sorry that we're you know, begging God to forgive us because we haven't evangelized the world enough and we're gonna make a, a real effort to do this yeah. and all that. At the same time, that's in 1974, you've got yeah. this dominionist piece coming in with guys like Falwell and others. You know, So I thought that's an interesting thing here. I come across your father and Lausanne, yeah. Switzerland in 1974 with Billy Graham. Yeah, but you see, the thing is, the dominionist piece played to the egos of these leaders. You've got to understand, mm. these are all guys that have a chip on their shoulder because they didn't feel relevant. Right. They're off in a corner saving people for Jesus. And dad comes along or Rush Dooney, and in their own ways, they say, listen, you can do more than save people for Jesus. God's calling you to take over the country and run it. Oh, now we're talking. Yeah, that's big time. Not only are you going to be relevant, you're in charge here, and God wants this to happen. Mm. There's something I'm ready to believe. You know, I'd like that in my private life. God's calling me to do nothing but be a best-selling author with every book I write. It's ordained. Okay, I, that's that's the kind of publicist I'll hire. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. That sounds okay. Yeah. So, so the fact is, you got to understand the Dominionist theology was insidious in many ways, but one of them is it plays to narcissism and it plays to the ego in a way that nothing else does. And I don't think many people get this. It's hard to put it this way. The way I was raised in traditional evangelicalism, the Bible already happened and we are reaping the fruits of it. We're going to believe in Jesus, go to heaven and so forth. Other than a few prophecies to be fulfilled down the road from the book of Revelation, everything's already happened. The Dominionist project says, no, the Bible's happening right now and you're a key player in it. Mm. 
This isn't in the past. This is now. America's part of biblical prophecy, and you're a leader in that. You're not writing a piece of revelation. The entire Bible points towards you in the same way that I grew up thinking the whole Bible pointed towards the restoration of the state of Israel or the return of Jesus, mm. big markers. No, no, no. America has now, very much in the style of Mormonism, been raised up to be included in the prophetic story, not as a side note. You're in the Bible. American Christianity is part of the Bible. It's not biblical prophecy to be revealed sometimes. It's happening right now. We are going to bring about the kingdom of God on earth. And if that includes hanging a few gay people or abortion doctors or atheists, whomever it may be, so be it. Because look at the Old Testament. Saul was cursed for not slaughtering everybody's wife and children and pets and animals. Mm -hmm. He was supposed to wipe them all clean. We have a tough God, a jealous God, and here's how we're going to serve him here in America. We're going to change the laws on this and that, and we're going to bring in our own agenda. Then you have people like Rush Dooney who go the next step and they say slavery was legitimate. It was part of God's plan. Racism is part of it. Bob Jones, which you referred to a few minutes ago and so mm -hmm. forth. My dad wasn't there. But the push was to reclaim, and you could split it two ways. The idea was America had Christian beginnings and we've got to go back to them. Or we've got to move forward into this kingdom of God where we create, in essence, a theocracy. By its very nature, Christian nationalism is anti-democratic. Because if you're in a pluralistic society and it's a democracy, you can't allow these other voices and still have the blessing of God. I mean, you know, we laugh about people who won't bake a wedding cake for a gay wedding, but carried out to the extreme, you know, you cannot coexist in a culture that's pluralistic or open or demo democratic or even with free speech, because in the end, none of this is pleasing to God. We have to bring it back. So when you look at a guy like Falwell or Pat Robertson or Dr. Dobson and these other founders of the religious right, they weren't sitting there thinking this through. But what they like being told is you are vital, you are important. And more than that, here's a whole Republican Party ready to eat out of your hand if you can deliver votes and get them to win. And they're not going to care who their voters are, just like the Republicans today don't care if you're QAnon, okay? Obviously, so you're yeah. a conspiracy wacko. Hey, we'll take it. Yeah, that's how Marjorie it Taylor Green. Yeah, although they did they did strip her from her uh, committee that she was on, but you know that was as far. The Democrats we, did with ten yeah, Republican votes. Just that. that's only ten Republicans went yeah, along with that. One hundred and ninety nine Republicans voted to keep her on, and then gave yeah. her a standing ovation. Exactly. So that's so, where we're at now. That's where we're at now. When we come back from the break, we're going to get into more of this issue of the legacy of the Christian right. And of course, Frank and his famous father Francis were there during the 1970s and early 1980s. Isn't it ironic that actually meeting people like Jerry Falwell Sr. and Pat Robertson and so many of the other people who are movers and shakers in the foundation of the Christian right then was actually what basically fueled his deconstruction. It ended up helping him get out, although, of course, he wouldn't realize it at the time. Now, this is interesting. We're talking about Jerry Falwell Sr., and as it turns out, I've been doing a tremendous amount of research on Falwell himself, as I mentioned in this episode. And so, as it turns out, we're going to spend three weeks looking at Falwell, first with this one here, with Frank Schaefer, then my episode, 
analyzing Falwell and the rise of the moral majority back in the 1970s and 1980s. And what more critically, what I want to do is establish a through line from what guys like Falwell and Paul Weirich, people who helped found the moral majority and what would become the Christian right, that would also become Donald Trump's rabidly loyal white evangelical base. And so there's a lot of connections that I want to make. And I do that in a very long, very deep dive into Falwell Sr. and the foundations of the Christian right. And then after that, we're going to have a conversation with Callum Best. And so this is a really interesting sort of conclusion to the whole Falwell legacy. We're going to end with Callum Best talking about his organization Save 71, which was founded in 2020 as an attempt to literally save Liberty University from the likes of Jerry Falwell Jr. This, of course, goes back to before his infamous Instagram snaps on the yacht, which got him fired in the end from being president of Liberty University. But there was a group of students and alumni at the time that were trying to get people's attention about what Falwell Jr. had been doing for years, running the place like a dictatorship, running it basically lining his own pockets and that of his family, a lot of nepotism and a system of patronage that went on for a long time. And really this harkens back, as I will bring up in the episode on his dad, it goes back to the legacy of Falwell Sr., so all of this is interrelated. So we're going to spend the next three weeks looking at the Falwell legacy. Junior is well known for being an early adopter, a rabid Trump supporter throughout his entire presidency. But of course, the groundwork for all that, that base, I would argue, was laid by his famous fundamentalist father, really the first kind of evangelical fundamentalist very famous person, a public figure like that, who encouraged so many evangelicals to get involved in politics in the first place back in the 1970s. And so basically Jerry's base would become Trump's base in many ways. So we're going to look at the legacy of that whole Falwell family in the next couple of weeks. So I hope you find those episodes really fascinating and educational. Now let's talk about also what other things are in the pipeline. Well, this month we've got two MindShift Zoom calls. In fact, on the very day that this episode drops on Patreon, the 21st of February, we are holding the first of our February 2021 MindShift Zoom calls. We're going to have Dean Crosets of the People I Meet podcast and then next week on the 28th, we're going to have Seven. He is, of course, the rapper from Jacksonville, Florida. We had an episode a few months ago where we talked about racism and church hurt that he experienced at a massive sort of all, really all-white mega church down in Jacksonville. And the way they treated him, I would say it's shocking, but actually it isn't. After listening to that episode and talking to him some more after we quit recording, you find out that racism is baked into so much of white evangelicalism. And of course, that's seen in the Trump base too. So it all comes full circle. So we've got two calls in February, Dean Crosets, and then seven. And then in March, we've got really two fantastic guests lined up, both of whom, as it turns out, are therapists. They're both specialists in religious trauma syndrome. So our first call in March is going to be Thomas Hanna. That episode just came out a few weeks ago. He's out of Tampa Bay, Florida, a therapist, an ex-pastor like me, who also specializes in RTS. And then the week after that, we've got Andrew Jasko, who's been on this podcast many times. We've got an episode coming up about the use of psychedelics in dealing with and treating religious trauma syndrome. So that is going to be an absolutely fantastic episode. I'm looking forward to that chat with Andrew as well. So really good stuff coming up. 
Also, I've been in talks with Frank Schaefer about a new book that's coming out. So we are going to have him coming in at some point on one of our Zoom calls. We're going to do a group discussion of his new book. So again, I'm looking forward to having Frank come back in and meet the people in our closed Mindship Podcast Facebook group. How can you get access to all these wonderful Zoom calls? We do two a month. And also we're doing a third call, which is a patrons only Zoom call. We did our first one in early February. We're going to have another one in the first or second week of March coming up. That is for people who support the show on Patreon. If you want to find out how you can gain access to those calls, as well as being a part of our closed Facebook group, the links to my Patreon page are, as always, in the show notes. All right, let's get on back into the chat with Frank Schaefer as we continue to unpack and analyze this really an industry of hate, the legacy of the Christian right. But there's another interesting piece to this as well, and that is the communism. So you got the Cold War piece. That's going on at the same time, because in my research, what I uncovered was that part of the strategy we talked about, okay, you've got the ERA, the abortion plank, and the homosexual agenda. That all gets characterized as an assault on the family. And somehow they were able to take that even and say, okay, well, if the family is weakened, the whole country is weakened, and the Russians are going to walk in without firing a shot. So yeah, you've but got you always, the Cold War piece too. Yeah, but you always got to understand something about this whole movement. And I'm talking about back to, you know, 19th century. I don't mm-hmm. mean even now. And I'm talking outside of America with the Christian Zionists in the UK, bringing about the whole ideology of Christian Zionism and the return to Palestine, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't matter where you touch this movement. There's always a sort of a central core theology, okay? You have to pad that out with something relevant now to keep people fired up. Okay, just get that into your head, if, um, if I can lecture for a little minute. Sure. Just get it into your head. There's a central core theology of God's kingdom on earth. And I'm talking about to the believers now. The con artists just use it. Don't get me wrong. I don't right. say these guys believe this, but this is the strategy. Then there's always whatever the issue of the moment is to fire the troops up. Black people are coming into our schools. We need white academies. Homosexuals are taking over the world and they want to uh, sodomize your son here in school and they're going to recruit him and he'll be gay. Women are taking over the world and they're going to have free sexual license and marriage is going away and they're going to mm-hmm. abort all their babies. Fill in the blank. Exactly. Okay. So it can be Christian Zionism and the return of Israel. It can be a war on gay people. It can be the abortion issue. Fill in the blank. They throw a lot of shit on the wall. If it sticks, it sticks around like abortion did. Mm. If it doesn't stick, like say the gay issue, uh, all of a sudden polls show, you know, majority of Americans are in favor of gay marriage, or at least we'll allow it. Okay, we we won't go to the capital steps for that. We'll do something else now. It's a stolen election. And it's Trump being persecuted because he stood up for us Christians and we're being pushed out again. The peripheral issues change so that when you go to a period where it's integration, versus segregation, or if you go to a period where it's communists, then it's communism. But it isn't because there's some inherent set of strong, changeless social principles within evangelical Christianity. There aren't. Now, sometimes the issues that fire people up can be a good one. So there's a whole generation of preachers in America who were anti-slavery, and they're going to go around and fire you up, rile Mm -hmm. you up, I'm not saying that was a bad thing, obviously, but you know, you still pass the tray at the end of the meeting. And if, if you're exercised about slavery, you throw in more money than if you're not. So the technique 
whether it's being used to feed the hungry, world relief, open a hospital, missionary outreach to save them for Jesus, outreach to the body to vaccinate them against malaria, Franklin Graham's uh, raising money through the Samaritan's Purse, which is a kind of a sleazy outfit, actually, that fires gay doctors and nurses. But you've always got to understand, they've always got to dress up the core message. And the reason for that is the same reason that so many Republicans have fallen for the QAnon conspiracy. And that is that the actual basis of what you say you believe is ridiculous. And it Mm -hmm. has to be dressed up. Otherwise, you're going around endlessly saying, you know, Jesus is coming back any minute now. I mean, look at how they've had to recycle all the prophecy books. The late great planet Earth, Hal Lindsey, and then this, and then Jim Baker, and this, and this. Jesus still hasn't showed up. Nothing came true. It wasn't the Russians. It wasn't Magog from the North. It's Mm -hmm. somebody else now. It's the Chinese. The parts are all movable. But you got to dress it all up because, A, you have to fire people up and keep them angry. B, you got to raise money. C, if you don't want to be irrelevant, you have to find access to power which again means you have to fire your troops up. Mm-hmm. So the issue is changeable. Communism, abortion, gay rights, women, you name it. Secularism in school. Now it's you know teaching Black History Month, whatever it may be. That's interchangeable. What never changes is this basic fact about evangelical Christianity. The actual belief system is ridiculous. And there is no way to dress that up. So you have to add a whole shitload of stuff to keep your people sitting there. Because if you really expect people to live in your universe, they cannot survive in the world. And I'll just give you one tiny example. The Koch brothers, I only met Charles Koch once, but the Koch brothers spent their life cashing in on the evangelical subculture to provide the right wing impetus of the money, the foundations, the votes. But then, you know, this was their audience. Their entire fortune of the, of the coal and oil industry is based on a scientific interpretation of geology in an old earth. Sure. And that money is then used to start foundations to bolster the religious civil liberties of evangelicals who don't believe in an old earth and say that this is a demonic plot against Christian faith. There's your problem. So Mm. essentially, evangelicals who can think, like my father, for instance, or Malcolm Muggeridge, the convert, well, he's a Catholic, but to an evangelical-style Catholic faith or you know, my old friend Oz Guinness or my brothers-in-law in Labrie, whomever it may be, have to dress up all the stuff they're doing with cultural analysis. And we're going to explain Bob Dylan and the hippies or art if it's Francis Schaeffer or Oz Guinness, or if it's on the right, whatever the new social war is. Because the central faith itself is exhausted in about a 10-second description, and it's fucking ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Deal with it. And so yeah. essentially, it's very much like the Saudi royal family. And that is they, they have to hype Wahhabist Islam because otherwise, if you don't have that hard edge, people will wander away. You have to persecute your own people to keep them in line with this vision of Islam that the Wahhabists have. And it foments terrorism. Otherwise, mm. you can't stay in power and get rich. Mm. And the evangelicals are exactly the same. Mm. So you have to keep people riled up. You have to let the people with the hard, crazy edge prosper because fundamentally you are stuck with an absolutely anti-science, anti-fact faith rooted in nothing at all that is defensible. So you have to have a whole industry of apologetics to try to sell it somehow, Mm. that somehow secularism is worse. You have to have a whole industry of rage. You have to have a whole industry of political connection. 
because essentially the faith itself does not stand up by itself and never has. So you got to fire them up because we're all going back to Israel and Christian Zionism. You have to fire them up. Communists are coming and they're going, they're persecuting Christianity. Mm. Gays are coming. Women are coming. But it's always somebody. So I just don't think people mm. understand that. The pieces are always interchangeable. What never changes is the fact that if you don't indoctrinate a child, if you don't take them to church, if you don't teach them in Sunday school, if you're not raised in an environment, if you don't homeschool them, if they go to a public school, if you don't send them to a Christian college, left to their own devices, when they're 18 or 19 years old, they are not going to open the Old Testament and say, you know what, this makes a lot of sense, sacrificing your son on a hilltop to please this jealous God, stoning gay people to death. If a girl loses her virginity before marriage, she's killed at the city gate. You know what, maybe not. It takes that a lot of machinery me. to keep you on track. And that's Absolutely. what people don't understand about the evangelical movement. Mm. That's a really good point, because as you say, you go, go back to the 19th century, even maybe before, but the whole movement of fundamentalism as it's kind of started was a reaction against liberal theology. And they've always Absolutely. had an enemy to vilify, haven't they? You know, you had the Scopes monkey trial. That was all about teaching evolution in schools. That was a big outrage. You had prohibition. They were upset because America was sliding down into immorality and alcoholism and right. everything else. So in everything, they've always had some enemy to vilify, some boogeyman. Well, my father's big hero of my youth, he had his picture inside his cupboard, was Gresham Machen, who was mm. fired from Princeton Theological Seminary mm. for being a fundamentalist when Princeton went, quote, went liberal, which in those terms was just they opened the Bible to a little bit of higher critical thinking. Just a I mean, bit. You know, it wasn't liberal. But the thing, the thing is that I don't think people understand is that um, it's really very similar to, to European fascism in the 1920s. You have to identify an enemy. We were stabbed in the back. That stab in the back in the evangelical terms is that the secularists are out to get you. They want your kids, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. The public education system is the enemy. Betsy DeVos comes along and we have to have vouchers for private schools. It's always the same story. It's just that, are you a secret communist or are you a secret feminist or are you going to stab us in the back by taking our children as the homosexual agenda? You can always fill in the blank, you but it never changes. And that is that the intellectual poverty, okay? Physicists and biochemists and neurologists do not need to keep you fired up to keep their subject relevant and interesting. Let me just put it that way. Mm -hmm. it, it, it sells itself. You know, the AstraZeneca vaccine doesn't need you to get angry at Lithuanians and shake your fist to keep your group together because God damn it, you know, unless you're not rational, you're going to want to get a vaccine and live. It sells itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you scientific know, merit. Yes, if you have a bleed on the brain, you want to get an MRA based on a technology that is outside the realm that the Christian faith provides. Mm -hmm. And you will say. buy it because you need it. Yeah, but you need it. You need it. And so the selling of the evangelical filter for all of life needs an enemy. It needs traitors. It needs you to be persecuted. You have to see yourself as a victim and outside the system. And of course, stopping my little rant here, but if you come up to our own day, of course, this is why Donald Trump fit their movement like a nice glove, mm -hmm. because they've been raised since birth, seeing themselves as outsiders being lied to by fake news, fake science, fake everything. Only the Bible's true. That's why we kept you home, kid. We had to teach mm -hmm. you at home because otherwise you would have gone to school and been lured away. Yeah, yeah lured secular away. humanists. Right. Yeah. Well, and as you say, you mentioned QAnon. I read an article the other day. It was a woman in South Carolina 
who's now admitting that the whole thing was a hoax and it was she was totally misled. Yeah. But for years she was into it like nobody's business. She called her mother on inauguration day when Joe mm-hmm. Biden was sworn in in a panic saying, I've got to pull my daughter out of school because they're going to come for us today. Yeah. You know, they're going to lock us up in cages. They Look what's happened to gun sales. They've oh, tripled. Yeah. Because America's falling, we're, you know, a tyranny is coming. We all need more handguns and ammunition. There are no guns left in the stores now. I saw a thing on the, in the Washington Post the other day with the gun store owner who says, I have six guns left and no ammunition. One of the biggest gun stores in the South. Six guns left, no ammunition, with usually a stock of thousands. They're That's all saying gone. something. <laughs> yeah, America. because they, they are that paranoid and yeah. that crazy. Yeah. And it was leading up to it even before the election day because queues around the block at gun stores. So And who are all these the- people? They're all quote unquote Bible believing evangelicals. Your average guy stocking up with AR-15s and thousands of rounds of ammunition, you know, is an evangelical white Christian who believes goodness knows what. But the thing is, again, you're standing on such shaky, miserable ground that you have to bolster it with a us versus them thing which is obviously paranoid and delusional, and, but there's no other way to keep it all going. So they're always going to be fed this. Why? Because their pastor only pulls a paycheck because he keeps his people riled up. Otherwise, why would you need this guy? Mm-hmm. And the, the evangelical school system. And what boggles my mind is why a secular country that's supposedly so anti-Christian, if it is, why do we accreditate any of these colleges? They don't teach science. They don't mm. teach evolution. They don't even teach a view of planetary warming and ec- ecology that's science-based. And yet they're sitting there in their paranoid delusion saying we're being persecuted. Well, gee whiz, you know, how come all, everything you do is tax deductible? Nobody else's is. How come mm-hmm. your leaders can be pastors and make hundreds of millions of dollars in their quote unquote ministries eventually over a lifetime? How come your, your leader is flying around in a private jet and meeting with the president of the United States and all this going on? Oh no, you know, we're victims, we're being persecuted. So nothing, nothing measures up when tested by any verifiable fact, but the evangelicals see themselves as a persecuted minority fighting for their life against secular humanists. They stock up on guns, they're sure that everybody's coming after them. QAnon comes along, okay, we'll believe in that for a while. This is a miserable bunch of people. And they are so lost. And when it gets down to the individual confused believer, <clears throat> that's where we've got to have some actual compassion and empathy. Mm-hmm. You know, that's if so. you're raised in an evangelical household somewhere and you've never been to a real school and you were homeschooled and then you're sent off to a Christian high school and your, your big moment is when you finally get to go to a college and it turns out to be Liberty University or Bob Jones or even Wheaton College or Gordon, then you're launched in the world and you, you have been fed from birth. Basically a point of view that says you, you're not from this earth, you're an alien. You come from another planet. You're, you're not of this species. Where do you and go from there? How do you function? And how do you have any level of discernment of what's real or not real? So when Fox News comes along and sells these people a whole raft of shit, you could sell an evangelical anything. Hmm. Anything. As long as you frame it in a victim versus, versus system manner. Mm-hmm. Then we'll, be, we'll believe you. So... Yeah. They're back there screaming about fake news and stuff before Donald Trump is. You know, even Rush Limbaugh on the right wing radio thing, all they did is cash in on what we, and I don't mean me personally and my family only, but the whole evangelical movement started. Mm-hmm. We're aliens in a strange culture that's being taken, either one taken away from us or we never belong to it. But either way, we are being done in with their stuff. Mm. And since the truth claims of science 
are diametrically opposite to Christianity. You know, whatever a few creationists like to pretend to say that, oh no, you can somehow make it all work. You cannot. Mm -mm. Um, you're always trying to bridge the gap with this sense of like, we're, we're victims, we're being done in, we're being lied to. Because if we're not, then what the hell are we doing still hanging on to all this belief mm. system? You know, so true. and it hasn't worked out. So all our, pro our prophecy books don't come true. And even in the area of personal life and sanctity doesn't come true. You know, our pastor just screwed my wife, literally, you say. Not in my case, thank mm -hmm. God. But you know what I'm saying? In other words, yeah. it doesn't even work out on the local level of First Baptist in Dallas where the youth minister turns out to be gay and he runs off with this guy. And this stuff. it doesn't work out on any level. The divorce rate in evangelical Christianity is as high as it is in the secular world. Mm -hmm. The wife abuse rate is higher. Right. Yeah, statistics don't corner lie. Corner on the on the wife beating market. How's yeah. it working for you guys? All this yeah. male dominance bullshit. How's it working out for you? Exactly. And we know, yeah, the rates of child abuse and all the Absolutely. other kind of things. And incest and rape Shocking. and the whole damn yeah. thing. None of it has worked. And if it was such a great system, that it would work. At the end of the day, the damn thing's got to work. You know, if this is the god who's behind this whole thing who knows human psychology better than anyone because he created yeah. us, then why doesn't it work on any level? On any level. And, any, and the claim, look, hey, you know, we want you all to be like us. Well, go visit any mega church and see how the pastor runs it and how much money his family's scraping off and these nepotistic roles they all play from church secretary down to fourth cousin in charge of whatever. And you're saying, whatever this shit is, we don't let these guys run the country. That's for sure. Yeah. Oh, and the nepotism piece, you know, that, that plays right into Trump's hands as well. I mean, they just came out, didn't they, with uh, as profit statement, what, what Jared and Ivanka made in their final year of as 120 million. Yeah, just and that was a that was less money than they made the year before. That's right. And that's <laughs> having had the whole organization lose money. And yeah. uh, hint, 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 look at the fundraising scam that's gone with him being thrown uh, out of office for his defense fund. You think he spent any of that on lawyers? No, well, he's not paying Rudy Giuliani's fees anymore, there, I guess. So he, he raised, at least, as far as I know, at least $200 million so far, yeah. if not more now. And he's still kind of running the Republican Party from yeah. you know, Magistan, as Michael Cohen calls it, down there in Florida. Yeah. And they're still afraid of him. So Kevin McCarthy yeah. goes down there and in the midst of the Marjorie Taylor Green thing. I mean, come on. The guy is and still you know, the shadow one, president. One thing. I mean, uh, you're not asking this question, so, but I'm going to just throw it in here because my dad always used to say, don't answer the question they're asking. Answer the one you wanted to have asked. Right. Okay. But you did, so you, you, you did ask this question. But, you know, one thing where I get off the boat is this idea that, you know, the, the call here is to call evangelicals back to their better selves. The former evangelical or the, the more uh, progressive evangelical wing saying, you know, we've got to call them back to be true to the teachings of Christianity. And if they were, then they wouldn't have gone to Trump. Oh, how could they follow Trump? I'm sorry, it's the other way around. Hmm. They have been more consistent with the message of the historic church and Christianity back to the year dot than it's nice to admit, because hmm. it's always been an us versus them all the schisms of the church, all the religious wars, all the persecution of heretics, all the burnings from Roman Catholics or Protestants, all the stuff. This is always the story. The victim being persecuted by the heretic. Now we have to go after them to protect ourselves. Or name the enemy, whether it's the German princes 
Luther, whatever it may be, and we can circle the wagons again. This has been the thing from day one. And so there is never this sort of golden era to call people back to a true Christianity that was better because it isn't. There are, there are better people. There are more, there's more empathy. There's some good things happen time to time. Slavery, the abolitionists, many of which were white evangelicals, sure. Lots of hospitals with nice saints' names on them, great. But mm -hmm. if you look at the movement in total, fundamentalist religion per se, whether it's Wahhabist Islam, nationalist Hinduism in, in Modi, in India, persecuting people, yeah. that never changes. And so when you have a belief system that cannot hold water on the basis of intellect and verifiable stuff around you, you are always going to have to find a way to circle the wagons and reinforce the tribe. Mm -hmm. And it's always to find an enemy and go after them. Mm -hmm. And so there is no there there to call people back to. There is not a good evangelicalism. There are plenty of individual evangelicals who are decent people. But it's not like there's a good form of evangelical Christianity. And if we can just get back to that. No, because that's what always gives birth to this. Mm -hmm. It always cycles into that. Yeah. It doesn't work. So... Yeah. Don't be naive and don't be stupid if you're a uh, former evangelical who's now a progressive Christian thinking there's something good to call people back to. No, there are a lot of great figures, like say my dad in the 1960s sure. running an open home for people. But where did it wind up? Mm -hmm. You know, in Jerry Falwell's jet, selling 50% of the American population, actually 52%, that's the women, down the river so we could have access to power. That's a stinging indictment. It really is, isn't it? And as you say, I, I agree with that. You know, there, I don't think there is a there there either. There isn't. And there never has been. Yeah, that's And the when truth. people say, well, what about the teachings of Jesus? I say to them, listen to this a second. Phrase it properly. What about the sayings that were attributed to Jesus in what we call the New Testament? Nobody knows what Jesus said or didn't say or who he was or what he did. All we know is what was written down between 45 and 200 years later by second and third and fourth party. So yes, mm -hmm. there is such a thing called Christianity, but its beginnings is not with Jesus because we haven't a clue what that was about. We, we know what sayings of his we like and the ones that make us shudder and we go with that. Mm -hmm. But there is never been a there there. Whereas when it comes to physics and math, there is a verifiable, quantifiable, scientific world of evidence out there that grows and changes, but not because someone comes along and realizes the whole thing was a fraud. And the cycle is totally different. And so at some point, if you're a former evangelical, or you're someone who has a nostalgia for that world, or you want to call them back to their better selves, you have to be honest and mm -hmm. just say progressive Christianity is as ridiculous at its core as fundamentalist Christianity, because the whole thing is based on an illusion. And that's an mm. illusion of certainty in a world that is nothing but a series of paradoxes. Mm. Interesting when stuff. You, when you grab onto that illusion, you are going to wind up in a bad place finally. Mm. Or your movement will, even if you escape. Well, isn't that what Carl Sagan's argument was in his book, Demon Haunted World? He said, we should be able to critique religion in the same way that we critique science by the scientific yep. method. We could do that. Most religion would collapse under its own weight, <laughs> under its own weight, you know? So yeah, it doesn't work on any But not only level. that, we are, you and me, Clint, are living at a moment in history where this isn't even debatable now. Mm -hmm. Because I live next to the tidal basin of the Merrimack River. And every year the tide comes higher on my, on my property. 
okay, out of the tidal basin and it's taking it away. Why? Because of climate change. Why? Because of the utter exploitation of the earth and the total separation of humankind from nature. And we act like we're not part of nature because religion said we weren't. We're these special beings created in the image of God. We, we march to our own standard. We are exploiters. This was given to us as a right. That philosophy has destroyed our planet. Mm -hmm. It is going to kill us all. Our great-great-grandchildren are going to be living in a total dystopia unless we go to a scientifically-based view of the universe and its workings now that has absolutely no place for delusional religious overlays of other ways of looking at the system. That doesn't mean that spirituality is banished or that the good things attributed to Jesus or Confucius or someone else have no validity mm -hmm. when it comes to interpersonal relationships, but you and me are staring down the barrel of an absolute terminal velocity situation where our planet is telling us through COVID, through the rising oceans, through the die off of species after species, the view of mankind as that religion has given him as above nature, that's the key, not just exploitative in nature, mm -hmm. but above and different from nature. No, you are a semi-evolved primate bound by the same rules of everything else. And guess what? If you don't believe me, your grandchildren are gonna know it. And do you mm -hmm. know why? Because putting yourself outside of nature as a special creature has destroyed nature to the point where our survival is now in jeopardy and all the rockets that SpaceX and these other billionaires are launching, they're not gonna get us to Mars and start some colony that makes everything fine. Either we listen to the science now and act on it and tell the preachers and all the rest of them to go bag their heads that we need to talk to physicists and uh, we need to talk to biologists and we need to find out what the hell we can do to rescue what's left of this planet and some sort of balance with nature or like Bolsonaro in the rainforest, burning them down in the name of his evangelical Christianity, this friend of Trump's who's, who's running Brazil, that's the other path. Just clear another 100,000 acres and plant something profitable because we dominate. So we're not at a place anymore. We're not in the 19th century where there's still big game left in Africa. We're not in the early 1920s when there's still fish in the Atlantic and the Pacific is this vast open space. We're on the earth where there's particles of plastic in everything. We're on the earth where the last big tuna runs are in the Pacific because we've fished out the North Atlantic. Mm -hmm. We're seeing the end game here. And yet still, you know, we've got Americans backing Israeli settlers on occupied land because God's coming. Jesus wants this. We've got Americans voting for raping nature in, that it's ours to exploit. Nobody's getting the message. And this kind of wishy-washy, progressive evangelical, former evangelical view that, you know, somehow we can learn to talk to these people and understand, no, we need to make a choice now. And that is, do we, do we want to survive as a species or not? And if you do, it isn't going to be on the basis of religion. Hmm. It's going to be on the basis of what science is telling us now, fact-based about the world. Mm -hmm. and, and there's not an in-between position. It's not like we can say, find a happy medium. There isn't a happy medium. But as you say, there's money to be made because look at what happened. Joe Biden tried to reverse some of Trump's laws and, and moves about, you know, repealing back some of these things on the environment. The governor yeah. of Texas wants to sue Biden because he sure. said, hey, you're going to cut into the oil and gas industry here. You're going to put yep. people out of work. Yeah, and but it'll be, 
and he will have the backing of his evangelical voters. Exactly. Be telling him that Biden represents this socialist communist view that doesn't believe that God has given us dominion over our planet. Right. That so back to the dominion piece. No. Well, it's fascinating to find out how all these threads tie together. I mean, it all does somehow relate, doesn't it? I think you've done a really good job of bringing all these disparate threads together. I was going to say, so at some point we're going to do another episode. I know we're not going to talk about it now, but you've got a book coming out sometime yes, I later do, this but year. It'll be out November 2nd. And right? basically it's my attempt to redress what you brought up earlier. And that is this false claim of family values on the part of the evangelicals that somehow they represented family and the secular represents the destruction of it. And basically it's a book that essentially tells people that their career is the last thing they should be worried about. What you need to worry about is the interpersonal relationships based on love and community and ecology and the things that will actually lead to a good and happy life. So, you know, it should be up as a, on a pre-sales page on Amazon. It's coming out with a subsidiary of Simon & Schuster on November 2nd. And I've been working on it on and off for five years because I've had to do a lot of readings. Mm -hmm. I, I don't pretend to be a scientist, but I've consulted people who are, and it's a little off my, my beaten path, but actually I'm using a lot of anecdotal stuff in it about taking care of my own grandchildren and so on. And looking back at age 68 and realizing that, you know, all this big important stuff I did, it mounts to a hill of shit <laughs> compared to, you know, a morning spent caring for my six-year-old granddaughter in the yeah, middle of a COVID lockdown. And that's it. I mean, there's no, mm. again, there's not an in-between position on that. Either this big important stuff is more important or doing this or doing real family values. So I've written a, a rather passionate, but also I hope well-researched uh, little book on this issue. And uh, November 2nd, it should be out. So I'd like to introduce it to folks and have you help me, Clint, and get the word out on it uh, yeah, comes great. the time. Because these days I don't raise money online from nefarious sources. I actually earn my living as an honest writer. And, mm -hmm. um, and I do want this book to be read by people. Okay, so at some point, as it gets closer to dropping, we'll do an episode on, on the book. I know you're gonna send me a copy and I'll read through it yeah. with great interest. So I was gonna say too, so we've talked about this before. How can people find you on social media? What's the best place to get a hold of you? Well, the best place to get a hold of me personally is to email me and you can find my email on my art site and everything else. I do answer my email, put on the subject line that you heard me talking to Clint. And then um, I'm on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, all those usual places. Uh, just go there and type in my name, Frank Schaefer. But um, if you want to personally communicate, just email me at, uh, at my email address, which you'll find on, on my uh, mm -hmm. art site, frankschaeferart.com. So, okay. um, and I, I tend to answer my stuff. And then in terms of the new book, um, it should be up on Amazon uh, pretty shortly and you would be able to see it there. So that's coming along and we'll do another talk together to kind of introduce that and let mm -hmm. folks know about it. Yeah, that'd be great. Well, listen, thanks again, Frank. Once again, I was going to say, before, we, before I let you go, did you know that the first episode we did last year, I looked at all my downloads for 2020. That was the number one top episode in terms of downloads so you okay. have that distinction of being the most popular episode that i did in the whole of 2020 so thanks for that as well well that means that both you and me downloaded it i think your wife might have minded too there's at least time. three <laughs> three there's or three four yeah i think we hit four downloads something like that oh good okay well that's the big time that's the big time so thanks again frank i'll see you soon good thanks a lot